Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Over the last few weeks, we've really been locked into this subject of evangelism. So if you've been here at all, probably now for about a month, we've just been hitting on this. And the example I gave last week, the way I feel like we're approaching this is like a kaleidoscope. You have, a fixed, uh, you have fixed content in a kaleidoscope, but with every turn, you see it with a new angle, new images arise, even though you're actually looking at the same thing. And I feel that we've been just locked into evangelism, but we're taking the word and every week we're turning <laughs> and we're seeing evangelism from a different angle and it's creating different shapes and images, but it's all into the same thing. So we've looked at power evangelism, ministry of reconciliation, uh, and then last week, and what I want to start again and, and finish off today is the gospel of the kingdom. I'm really, really excited and stirred by this. Um, and we're going to speak a little bit more into this on the gospel of the kingdom. If you missed last week, you can go and, and listen again. But here's, here's the summary, and then I'm just going to jump in. Here's kind of where we were last week. The gospel of the kingdom is the primary dominant message of Jesus. This is, remember, when Jesus was baptized and clothed with power from on high and then led by the Spirit into the wilderness and then comes out of the wilderness victorious as a man. He looked at the Spirit and the Father overcame the evil one, comes out as a man of fire, and he comes out with one message saying, everyone turn, everyone shift, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, right? His emphasis was not on something down the road. His emphasis is on something that has come. God's rule and reign has been brought near, this is an incredible thing that the, the reign of God is now, Jesus said, I was the seed bearer for the kingdom of God. And through one man, the kingdom of God was brought here. And now Isaiah 9, 7 says the increase of his government will know no end. So Jesus brought the rule of God on the earth. God's always been sovereign in his wisdom. He's allowed Satan to actually have a measure of of latitude. He's called the God of this age, but he's using it all for his glory anyway. But there was a moment in history where Jesus showed up on the scene and actually came as a divine intruder declaring the end to the God of this age. He says, it's, it's over. And he's come to destroy the works of the devil. <laughs> he's come on the offensive. And this is, uh, this is his great hope. He's, he's, we put it this way. Jesus invaded the present age with the future age or the age of the kingdom. Right? So the present age, we said, is we live in that. We also live in now the age of the kingdom. There's a tension. Uh, Jesus brought the kingdom in its, uh, in its fulfillment. We know there's a final consummation that's coming at his return. But again, in between that period is we should see the kingdom of God moving and growing uh, and, and uh, expanding. And so we live in this present age. And the present age is where human existence is marked by frailty, weakness. We see sin, suffering, evil, all of these things. But the future age, the age of the kingdom, this is what our hope is in. For where God rules and reigns, all the former things, the old things, pass away. That's everything attached to sin, the penalty and the effects. And that is why in this life, as a believer, we're living in this tension where we actually can still see the present age working. We still can see brokenness. We still see sin, sickness. We see that. But at the same time, we see the age of the kingdom now too. That's why we see salvation, healing, deliverance, and all these other things. So our job is to continue the ministry of Jesus, which was he took the age of the kingdom that was reserved what they thought for a future day, and he invaded the present age. And now we're continuing to invade the present age with a message and a demonstration that God's reign is here. So every, 
Every salvation, as we'll see again today, every healing, every deliverance, all these things right from the scriptures are signs that God's rule is here, that the power of Satan has been broken. Amen. Amen. So when we go out and evangelize, we are bringing the gospel of the kingdom. (laughs) Very, very important. We're declaring there is a new king. Well, he's always been king, but we're seeing the fullness of this thing now begin to touch the earth. Amen. All right, so Matthew 24. And specifically, I'm going to pick it up in verse 12. I just, uh, I feel we're going to get some vision for what's going to happen um, as we continually go out. So I'm going to start in verse 12. I just want to say this. I know a lot of you are familiar with this passage. It is a well-known passage where Jesus gives signs of the end of this age. Now remember, these aren't just signs for like a future distant moment. The signs of the end of the age is the present age. The things that Jesus gives actually were being fulfilled in his time and still are unfolding before our eyes. These things really mark the present age, the the church age. And everything that we read in Matthew 24 is really set in motion by verse 3. So if you just look at that, actually, before we go verse 12, the back part of verse 3, the disciples ask a question. They say, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So how will we know this present age is going to fall away? What, What are the signs? And Jesus lists signs. Now, a lot of us know of the things like earthquakes, famines, and whatnot that he puts in there, but there is a a sign in here that I want you to see that's so powerful that um, I I believe we're going to see more and more, especially over these uh, um, next few weeks and what we're doing with evangelism. So let's pick it up in verse 12. He's still responding to his disciples about the signs of this present age falling away, passing away. In verse 12, he says, And because lawlessness will be increased... Let's read that again. And because lawlessness will be increased and the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now look at verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom. You guys see that? So this is one of the signs Jesus is saying. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. This is an amazing statement. A lot of times, again, my emphasis or or what I've seen is is the previous signs, but simultaneously what, what Jesus says is the gospel of the kingdom will go forth and not just to a specific people group, it will go to the nations. Of course, the rise of this message is a sign that the present age is falling away because the very message and appearance of the gospel of the kingdom means the present age is falling away for it is the future age, the kingdom of God. So as we see God's kingdom growing in the sense of us, it becoming the forefront of our messages, it is declaring and witnessing to the nations the present age is passing away. Therefore, turn and get in the flow of what God is doing. Now, there's something, uh, I'm just using this to set us up, so just stay, stay with me. But verse 12, this is so hopeful as well. It says, and because lawlessness will be increased, 1 John 3 says, sin is lawlessness, So what this is saying, sin is not merely a negative, like, failure. It's actually active rebellion against the revealed will of God. And what this is saying is is you see lawlessness, sin, rebellion against God increasing. And what is God's sole antidote and answer to a society or generation where it appears lawlessness is increasing? It's filling the church with the revelation of his kingdom coming and them going out and proclaiming it. I love this that it does not say we have to wait for lawlessness to die down in order for us to go out. It's actually saying in the midst of what appears to be such crisis, God has 
imparted this message of hope. This is why I'm so hopeful right now. Because what I see is where crisis is, historically, it always opens doors for the glory of God to go out. So right now, the, the role of the church is not, oh my goodness, let's hang on until we get out of this place, because that's completely opposite. Something's coming here. The, the, whole, the whole goal is actually God has given us the answer to bring the kingdom of God in the midst of such what seems, again, chaos and rebellion towards, towards, uh, towards the Lord. So I think we really need to, this is bigger than home church evangelism. We're discerning the times. This is bigger than a week, but we say, wow, look at all this stuff, all, all of what appears to be this rebellion against God. What's the answer? The church going forth in power to bring the kingdom of God. Yes. Isn't that good news? <laughs> and that's why I'm filled with a lot of hope despite what I see. Um, I believe what we're going to see more and more based on Matthew 24 is the Holy Spirit emphasizing and anointing the message of the gospel of the kingdom. I believe that's what we're seeing here. More and more, you're going to see this message get restored to the body of Christ. And I, I shared last week, and I put a little different but for the long time in my own life, the gospel that I, I, I held to was purely a gospel of forgiveness of sins. And I want to be clear, the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of forgiveness of sins are one and the same. And it's not that one's wrong, it's just that it's not the fullness of what Jesus actually came and taught. Um, you can't enter the kingdom of God without being forgiven of sins. So we have to continually put this before people, we have to continually preach this. There is only one way to enter into the kingdom. There's only one way to be a child of God, to turn and believe on the Lord, right? But the full gospel, the full salvation that Israel was longing for was not merely getting right with God and then waiting again to be taken away. Their hope was Genesis 12 that God said through Abraham and his seed, I'm going to bless the nations. Their whole hope was God's rule and reign coming on the earth. And so the gospel that we proclaim includes forgiveness of sins, but it does not stop there. It goes into the full reign and rule of God that his king and his kingdom has come on the earth, and therefore everything that is not in alignment with that is going to be brought into alignment. Everything is going to be restored. We're not just talking about being made right with the Father through Jesus, but literally we're talking about every sphere of life being touched. We're talking about societies being transformed like when the rule of God comes, the reign of God comes, again, anything that sin has touched is now being redeemed and renewed and refreshed. And this is what we're going out to bring. We're going to preach forgiveness, but then we're going to let people know that they've been brought into something much, much bigger. <laughs> much, much bigger. Because I feel, as we said last week, what's happened in my life is, is when we just stop at forgiveness of sins, it robs the church of their full mission. And it puts us on a defensive place where we're just kind of just hoping to survive until this whole thing ends. That is never the case. Jesus is on the offensive. We are on Jesus' team. We are going into a broken world in the present age and showing that Jesus is really ruling and reigning. Yes. Um, one other thing I want to share in this passage. Notice in verse 14, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to the nations. We're going to see this. You're going to see the kingdom of God becoming central more and more in bodies. But notice it says that it will be a testimony to all nations or a witness to all nations, some translations say. Well, what does that mean? Every time we go out and proclaim this gospel of God's kingdom, it's witnessing and testifying that Jesus is really reigning and that he's really coming back. Really important, guys, and I want to show you this in Acts, but Jesus right now, do you know right now he's ruling and reigning? It's, it has begun. When he ascended and sat at the right hand of the Father, it started. He's ruling, 
Right now, the kingdom of God is on the earth. We see it in spirit and power. But there's a day coming when Jesus is actually going to come on the earth, and we're going to see a tangible kingdom. You're going to see a real king and a real kingdom with real citizens, and everything on the earth is going to come under it. And what the message of Acts was, I want you to see this, Acts, this is the framework of Acts. When they were sent out, they were sent out under this umbrella that they knew they were going out to witness or testify to the nations that there is another king and he's coming back. Let, let, me, let me give you an example. I'll show you an uh, Acts 17. But I want you to see this. In, in uh, Acts 1, do you know what it begins with? Uh, the, the heart of it is actually verse 6, where for 40 days, Jesus teaches his disciples about the kingdom of God, right? Between the resurrection and the ascension, he says he teaches one message, the kingdom of God. Do you know how the book of Acts ends? Acts 28, verse 31, Peter is in prison in Rome, and it says, and he continues to preach the kingdom of God and that Jesus is Lord, and the book ends. So the book of Acts is bookend by this theme, kingdom of God. Everything in between is telling us it's all unto the kingdom of God, God's kingdom advancing on the earth. So check this out. In chapter 1, the, the disciples are not commissioned until Jesus ascends. Why? Why, right? Well, there's a lot of things, but one primary reason is because biblically the ascension of Christ is pictured as the installment of his kingship. For when he ascends to the Father, he sits down at the right hand and is seated now as a ruling and reigning king. The reason why the witnessing and the commissioning of disciples was not until that point is because it was actually following a very typical ancient Near Eastern pattern or first century pattern, which is whenever a king would take his place, his installation, and he would sit down, one of the very first things that would happen is he would take uh, heralds, messengers, to go out into the land to begin to proclaim, have you heard the good news that there is a new king? <laughs> so this is why they wait for him to ascend. Once he ascends and takes the right hand, they send out, because they do not have social media like we do today, there are people in farmlands and distant countries who have no idea that there is a king sitting on the throne, and the disciples are pictured as going, saying, have you heard? King Jesus has come, and he's ruling and reigning, and he's returning. Get into the flow of what he's doing. Repent, turn, give your life to him. So this is how the Lord is, is this mission is still continuing. <laughs> Acts, one of the things I've mentioned before that I find interesting is Acts is a book of movement, and then it just stops. <laughs> Paul is like, it's moving, 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 moving. Paul's in prison, and it's like, he preaches the gospel of the kingdom over. And it always struck me, and I believe it's very intentional by the Lord. It's no different than when we watch a movie, and you see the way it ends, and we say, what? There's definitely coming out with another one. <laughs> you know by the way something ends that the story is not over. And so when Acts is moving, kingdom of God moving, this is why everywhere they go, they're declaring salvation, people are being healed, delivered. They're, they're blowing up cities that are under the dominion of darkness, saying God is here now. And as this is going, at the very end, it just stops. Why? Because the story is not over. The baton is being passed to us to continue this mission until the Lord comes and brings it into its consummation. Look at, look at Acts 17. I'll give you one example of this. Acts 17. So this is where Paul and Silas are in uh, Thessalonica. And like they are in many cities, amazing godly breakthrough, but then there's also fierce opposition right? Something for us to keep in mind as we go out and proclaim God's kingdom. We talked about it last week. Uh, when a warm front and cold front collide, there's violence, right? We're talking about two fronts, two kingdoms, if you will. 
It's not ever a question if God's going to win, but the reality is people are really under tyranny of sin and captivity. So that's why you see power encounters happen in the book of Acts, because they knew we're bringing the kingdom, and these people are under the power of darkness. Um, so you can see a lot of those things. But what's happening here is there's fierce opposition from primarily the Jews, and then they bring in the secular leaders of Thessalonica. And they're so, I want you to see, they're so disturbed at the message that these guys are proclaiming. Remember we said we are to be witnesses to the nations of the gospel of the kingdom, right? Look at verse 6 of Acts 17. So it says, and when they could not find them, so this is, the, uh, this is primarily focusing on the Jewish population right now, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, so before the local leaders, and here's what they were shouting. These men have turned the world upside down. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. What a statement, huh? <laughs> There's a lot of things to be said on that, but they're saying these guys who are turning the world upside down, they've come here now. And what he's going to say is Jason is giving him refuge. Jason has brought him into his house. He's giving hospitality. We couldn't find them, but we have this man who's aiding them. Let's look at verse 7. And Jason has received them. That's what it's saying. Now look at, look at this. Look what he says their message is. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar. It says these guys are coming against King Caesar. Well, How? They're saying that there's another king, Jesus. <laughs> and then verse 8 says, the people and the city authorities were disturbed. They were internally vexed when they heard that there's another king, not Caesar, but Jesus. When they heard of these things. Okay, this is just amazing. So what were they doing? These guys are testifying to the nations. They're proclaiming. They're a witness to the nations of the gospel of the kingdom. Again, everything they were doing, whether it was the message of just people getting born again or people being delivered, healed, that's all throughout Acts, everything was serving as a witness that Jesus is king and he's really coming back. And what really disturbed them is that they said there is another king, Jesus, meaning they made a comparison to Caesar. How is Jesus like Caesar? Not in, in the way he leads, in the sense that Caesar is a real man. And they're saying he's... he's He's ruling right now in a spiritual domain, but it won't be like that forever. He's going to come on the earth like Caesar. You see how Caesar rules? This king's coming. Woo! <laughs> this king is coming on the earth. And you're going to see his citizens. You're going to see his power. You're going to see his heart. You're going to see all of this. We're going to behold him face to face. John says when we see him face to face, we're going to be transformed in a moment. Of course we will. If we can behold the Lord now... 2 Corinthians 3, and begin to have degrees of transformation now, what will happen when our eyes see him in his fullness? It will be instant glorification, instant perfection. Jesus is coming on the earth. So these guys are really disturbed because this king is coming to confront every other kingdom that's not a part of his, right? So here, this is what we're doing. We're going to be a witness to this community, wherever the Lord leads us, uh, that God is, that Jesus is reigning and he's coming back. All right, so I want to share another portion of scripture that is so beautiful, Isaiah 52. And then I'm just going to share a few ways we see the kingdom of God here and now. And then we'll pray. And I'm just putting it out there. Dina went to Upper Room and she got me my favorite donut in the world. So the Lord, I may be feeling the Lord just to kind of leave the, cut this thing early. <laughs> I'm only kidding. But I see the box looking at me right now. I'm like, <laughs> no. 
So, all right, back, back to this. So the gospel of the kingdom is what we're bringing. We're testifying to the nations, to this community, that Jesus is reigning now. And I want to be clear, even though he's coming back, guys, it's, it has started. So we're not just proclaiming something in the future is coming. We're proclaiming it's here. We're showing it. That's, why, that's what salvation, healing, deliverance, there's many purposes. One, it's just for love for the person. There's all purposes. But one of the things, it's testifying where all things are going. All of these acts are prophesying to the eventual fullness of the kingdom on the earth. So Isaiah 52, this will so, um, I believe, so bless you. Uh, we could, I could come back and talk more on this. But this is a poem that's written in a very prophetic manner. And of course, the fulfillment is found in Jesus. Now, I want you to hear the background and then we'll read it. Um, the poem or what's happening, the picture is that Jerusalem is absolutely devastated because of Babylonian uh, invasion and captivity. All right. So because of, of sin and other things, Babylon has come in has completely desecrated the temple, the walls are in ruins, and they're kind of like left with this picture, like what is going on, what is happening? And, uh, and the, the thing that you need to understand is that that destruction, because this really emphasized the goodness of God, is a result of their own doing. It was because of their own choices and rebellion. In other words, God would have every right to say, I'm leaving you there. But Isaiah, in the midst of this destroyed city and de like demoralized people, many have been taken into exile like Daniel, a few remain still at the city, and Isaiah begins to have this prophetic picture of watchmen on the wall. And as they're looking out, devastating, trying to make sense of what has happened, they begin to see a messenger that's running towards them from the hills, crying out, good news, good news. And I want you to see verse 7 specifically of what happens here. Verse 7 of Isaiah 52 as this messenger approaches the devastation of Jerusalem, it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. So you picture the scene. You've got these guys, these watchmen on the wall. There's devastation. And this guy is running towards them saying, Good news, good news. And they're saying, How beautiful are the feet of the one who brings good news. They are not beautiful because of how they look. <laughs> Thank God we'd all be disqualified here right now. They are, they, are, they are beautiful because of the content of the message. They're described beautiful because of the hope-filled message that they're bringing. And what is that? It goes on to say, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation. So this messenger is running over the hills saying, I bring good news, good news of peace, salvation, and happiness. Now what's actually happening here, the, the imagery is playing off of something that was very common in these days. When there was wars and battles, um, the, the, the uh, cities would have to wait to hear how the battle was going. So they would wait for a messenger to return. And it's said that the watchmen were so skilled, they could tell if the messenger was bringing good news or bad news by the way they approached especially because uh, the law of the day was if you brought bad news, the messenger himself would be put to death often. David actually does this. Someone comes to David and says, good news. He says, good news. Your son Absalom, he's dead. And David says, Absalom, Absalom, my son. And he grieves, says, this is not good news. And then he has the man put to death. Doesn't sound fair. That's the law of the day. So you can imagine when someone's approaching with good news, you could tell <laughs> there was a spark in their step. 
There was a bounce in their step as they're leaping over the mountains knowing I bring good news. You know what's amazing though? Jesus brought good news and they put him to death. By law, you could put one who brings bad news to death, but Jesus brings the good news and we put him to death. <laughs> but here comes this messenger saying, good news, good news, good news of happiness, peace, salvation. And then look at the summary statement of this good news. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. <laughs> good news means what? Gospel. God reigns means what? The kingdom of God. What this messenger is really bringing is the gospel of the kingdom to a devastated people saying, good news, God reigns. So when Jesus, 700 years later, stepped on the scene and came out of the wilderness saying, I bring the good news of the kingdom of God, he knew that he was directly fulfilling Isaiah 52.7. He comes as the messenger with beautiful feet to a people that have been broken. Now look at the response of the people, verse 8. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see, meaning they see with their own eyes, the return of the Lord to Zion. Jesus' life in general fulfilled this. Many believe if there was a specific moment, it would be the triumphal entry. When Jesus was actually riding on a donkey, it was really fulfilling this in a very specific, like direct moment. Verse, eight, uh, verse 9 says, Break forth together into singing. <laughs> Guys, this is the news that we are bringing to people. People that have been devastated and broken. And when we come with this good news of salvation, peace, happiness, God reigns, it leads people to break forth into joy and to singing. You waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Jesus fulfilled this mission. His feet, is beautiful, his feet are beautiful. But that mission has been transferred to us now. This is an amazing privilege. We've been grafted into Isaiah 52 to go and declare the good news that God reigns, that the gospel of the kingdom is here. In fact, to show you this, there is a famous scripture in Romans 10 by Paul. And Paul says this, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, he shall be saved. But how can they call if they have not believed? And how can they believe if they have not heard? And how can they hear if no one preaches to them? And how can anyone preach if no one is sent? And then Paul says this, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach or bring the good news. This is what Paul has in mind. The gospel of the kingdom is what we are bringing. So now what we get to do is the same scene, guys. We need to see that in the spirit, we're going to devastated cities. We're going to devastated lives. We're going to devastated families. And here's the crazy thing. This is, they're being confronted with God's grace, just like our lives were. The stuff that they're, that they're uh, reaping is because of the very things that they've sowed. But the good news of God's grace is that God has come to deliver them and set them free. So as we go into the community, this is what we're saying. God reigns. Yeah, but you don't understand. I've done this. I've done this. This is my background. God reigns. This is what he did in Jerusalem's life. This is what he did in our life. The grace of God touched us, and his, his leadership has delivered me. And now we get to proclaim Jesus is king. He has victory over chaos. He has victory over darkness. He has victory over sin. He has victory over evil, and we're showing people that by declaring this. We are commissioned to destroy the works of the devil. That's what Jesus did. That's what we do. By destroying the works of the devil, again, it's all signs that the kingdom of God is here, and it's now. So every miraculous act is testifying to that. 
So what I want to do in just these last few minutes is I want us to see what are some things scripturally as to the signs that God's kingdom is here. What should we expect? What should we contend for when we go out bringing the gospel of the kingdom? What does it look like that the kingdom of God is here and now? Does that sound all right? I want to share four things with you. All right, so come with me to Colossians, um, Colossians 1. Colossians chapter 1. Again, I want to just share you real quick. Mark, actually, if you wouldn't, if you throw something I want to share with you real quick um, a few ways that we're going to see. We, we have seen all these things. We're going to continue to see them. We're going to see them in increasing measure, guys. I want us to have vision for that uh, because the gospel of the kingdom, it's, again, the increase of his government will know no end. The only reason why we haven't seen, I think, increase a lot of times is we've taken this message out. And we haven't presented the fullness of salvation and the fullness of what Jesus died for and what he brought. So when we go out to evangelize, we're going to see the kingdom of God here and now. And here's one of the ways that we're going to see it. We're going to see the Holy Spirit, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, bring forgiveness and salvation to people. And whenever you see forgiveness and salvation, it is a sign that the kingdom of God is here. Let me show you an example. Colossians 1, 13 to 14. Follow with me on this. I want you to see this with your own eyes. So you let the word, uh, w- yeah, we need, the, we need to see it in the word for ourselves because there is going to be great, I don't say this in a negative way, but there is going to be great resistance when the kingdom of God goes forth. It happened against Jesus. It happened against his followers. And the number one group that resists, sadly, is those that come under the name of religion. So Colossians 1, 13 and 14 Here's one sign of God's kingdom now that we will see when the Holy Spirit by power and his presence brings forgiveness and salvation. Verse 13, God, he, meaning God the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So when there is forgiveness of sins, there is redemption. One of the signs, you say, well, where's God's kingdom? Because it's in spirit and power. How do we see it? Anytime someone is forgiven of sin and anytime someone is saved and calls upon the name of the Lord and they are liberated, it is a sign that God's kingdom is now. When someone is forgiven, there wasn't just a nice prayer being said, although prayers and all those things are involved. What this is saying is that they were actually formally under the domain of darkness. Domain means authority. I've said this before, but it warrants saying it again. Any person who is not in Christ, no matter how vibrant, alive, healthy, influential their life looks, scripturally, they are under the power of the kingdom of darkness. That's where I was. That's where all of us were at some point. No matter what it looks like outside, they were under the domain of darkness, meaning Satan was actually exerting a force on their life. But when they called upon the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus was applied to their life, God just didn't kind of pat off some dust on them. God literally transferred them. He uprooted them and planted them into the kingdom of his son. He broke the tyranny of Satan over their life, and they are freed. And anytime you see someone get set free, it is a proclamation that God's kingdom is here and now, and he's coming again. It's glorious news. We're going to see people give their hearts to the Lord, and I want you to know it's a sign that you'd be encouraged that God is truly moving right now. His kingdom is here. Transferred. They've literally been uprooted and placed in another place. Just like if you were working at a job and they transferred you to another office, you literally get transferred. You leave one place and go to another. And guess what? 
You're not going back to that place. This is the glorious gospel. The blood of Jesus covers you. You're then not going to be uprooted and brought back. No, you're going to now learn to live as a child of God. And you're going to be now used by God as a, as a missionary to bring his kingdom. All right, come with me to Luke 10. So that's in the one sign we're going to see. Here's another sign we're going to see. It's all right in the word. Luke 10. As we go out proclaiming the kingdom of God, we will also see the presence and power of the Holy Spirit heal bodies. And that is a sign right from the scriptures that God's reign is here because we know that the origin of sickness is in the devil. And if we're going to destroy the works of the devil, one of his works is sickness. For 1 John 3 says, from the beginning, Satan has been sinning. Sin has a diabolical origin. When did sickness come into the earth? When sin entered in. Who brought sin? The devil. So destroying the works of the devil, part of that is we, 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 we go for this. Now, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want people to know our stance will forever be contending all out to see the kingdom of God right now. And if for some reason we're not seeing it, I just want to encourage you, we're going to keep contending. <laughs> um, but even while we're contending, we're filled with hope because one, we know where it is all going. And two, we know that God is working all things for good, that the enemy is meant for evil, that he's going to be glorified in it in ways that we can't even imagine. So as we're contending, as we're supposed to, for the kingdom of God to be seen, we're also going to be filled with hope if there's a, if there's a place where we're saying, why are we seeing this breakthrough? Because we know that God is working all things for good in that life. So if you find yourself caught by feeling the effects of the present age, we're going to pray for the age of the kingdom over your life, but we're still going to rejoice because God's being glorified through your life right now. Amen? But I really want to emphasize that we're going to contend for the breakthrough because I believe we're supposed to. I believe we are supposed to, to show that. And there are many causes of sickness and disease, but again, its origin, whether directly or indirectly, scripturally, is always Satan. And I want you to see, here's, before I even read Luke 10, here's, here's a direct spot. Luke 13, verse 10 to like 17, there was a woman who could not stand up straight. And for 18 years, she walked, I just imagine she probably must have walked like this, bent over. And for 18 years, she walked like this. She comes into the synagogue where Jesus is teaching. Jesus sees her. Jesus touches her. She's healed. Her back straightens. What do the religious leaders do? They get enraged that he would, he would uh, desecrate the Sabbath. What they do is they put theology out front, but actually that theology is, is hiding a heart of unbelief. Just watch for that. Watch for that. We love right doc. We want that. But be careful of that. Whenever God starts moving in power, man, there's something that just, the religious spirit is rise, uh, just rises up. And they, they promoted that they were just holding so true to the word, but actually was disguising their heart of unbelief. That the one who the word points to was before them, and they denied his works. And so Jesus brings this woman who had been lame, uh, crippled for eight, 18 years, and this is what he says, I think it's verse 17 or 16. He says, should this daughter of Abraham, listen carefully, who has been bound by Satan for 18 years, should she not be loosed? What does he do? He's equating her crippled condition with being bound by Satan. He says, this is a work of the enemy, and I've come to destroy, which means to loose the works of the enemy. Luke 4.39, Jesus comes to Simon, Peter, uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house. She has a fever. It says he comes in verse 39. It says he rebukes the fever. 
That's strange. What do you mean you rebuke the fever? It's the same language when he would speak to demonic spirits. The way he would rebuke them, he rebuked the fever. Are you guys seeing this theme? Acts, Acts 10.38. Here's another one. Acts 10.38. Jesus, uh, Peter is going through the baptism of uh, Jesus in Cornelius' house. And he says, you know how he was, um, uh, he, was, he was clothed, anointed, it says, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, with power and with the Holy Spirit to do good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. What's he saying there? Anyone that ha- was sick was oppressed by the devil. Jesus came to set them free. This is what we do. We need to reclaim what side God is on. Now look at Luke 10, verse 8. This is where Jesus sends out the 72. And he tells them this, Luke, uh, Luke 10, verse 8. He says, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Verse 9, heal the sick in it and say to them, what do they say? What do you say to them? The kingdom of God has come near to you. This is so important to see. What is he saying? He says, when you go and you're sent and you lay hands on someone and they're healed, make sure you tell them God's kingdom is here. Well, how do we know that? Because this man was just set free. And healing is declaring that one day, we know in its totality, suffering is coming to an end, but it has already started. And we're showing people that he really is ruling over every work of the enemy. And don't for a second dismiss this for the 12 apostles. We don't have time to go into all those things, but this was not the 12. I don't even need to go anywhere else. Look at the verse itself. These were the 72. These were non-apostolic, anonymous, ordinary believers who were given power and authority to bring the kingdom of God. And they're a foreshadow for what we should be doing today. The kingdom of God is here. All right, come with me. Where are we at right now? You know what? I'm gonna, can I share a testimony with you real quick? It's really encouraging. Um, I was reading. I've been reading some things. Uh, I never really read too much of him, but this guy, John, John Wimber, I've just really uh, been so blessed by his life and the way he contended for the kingdom of God. And he was sharing some um, powerful missionary stories and he was sharing one specifically in 1983. There was a, uh, I want to make sure I get his name right. There was a, a missionary by the name of Pradeep Sudra. He was, uh, he was from Great Britain, but he was in India. Okay, this is 1983. I was reading a whole, like, documentary of this. And this guy, Pradeep, with a team, was going around in India, uh, just ministering anywhere they could. And the way they did it is they were riding on what I pictured like a big open truck, almost where you put like soldiers in the back, like they're all sitting in the back. And they had on each side these signs. One said Jesus saves, the other one said Jesus is alive. And they would ride around, go into towns, ride these dirt roads in India, really poor. No one would come visit from the outside. And they would get out of the truck, they'd give some food and whatnot, and then they'd they'd preach Jesus, they'd give him Jesus. And many people were really being touched by the Lord and saved. But they'd never really seen like, like what they saw in scriptures with God's power. And one time they were getting ready to, uh, to make a turn to go to another village and Pradeep felt the Lord strongly say, keep going up that dirt road, keep going up. And Pradeep and the driver both knew that that was a Muslim village. You do not go in there. But, but he said, go in there. And they're talking back and forth. And the driver's like, you know, if we go in there, we're going to be uh, beaten with bats and we'll be stoned. And he says, we got to go in there. The Lord's saying to go in. So these guys drive in there. And sure enough, this is all true. You can read about this. As they ride in there, Men, a hostile group comes out with bats and stones as they're seeing these signs, Jesus saves, Jesus is alive. But as they do that, the local mullah, who's like the leader in that village, he comes out and he reads the sign. 
And he says, I've heard, you say Jesus is alive. I heard that Jesus heals. He says, if that's true, my wife has been bedridden for five years and she's not been able to get out of bed. He says, I tell you what, if, if, if my wife is healed, you can share your Jesus. But if not, well, they knew what would happen. They would be stoned and beaten. So he said, they were not prepared for this, but they were in the Lord with fear and trembling. Pradeep takes one of his uh, assistants and they get out of the truck and they follow the mullah to his cottage. Now the custom of the day is no man can lay a hand on the wife except the husband himself. So they actually have the mullah lay his hand on his wife and from a distance they actually begin to pray. And as they begin to pray, guess what happens? God powerfully touches her body. It's kind of like Simon Peter's mother-in-law where she gets up and specifically says, I don't know why, she begins to serve them tea. <laughs> and so now she's serving these guys tea. Well, what do you think happened? All of the hostile crowds beg them to stay and teach them about this Jesus. For, for three straight weeks, morning and night, they taught them about Jesus and they taught them songs about Jesus. And at the end of those three weeks, they said, brothers, we, I love that. They really said brothers. They were once hostile, now they're brothers. And they said, brothers, there's a body of water, a river down at the end of this village. Can we be baptized? And they said, Absolutely. And 250 of them went down to that river, which was just about everyone of the age 13 and older. They go down to the river, they baptize them, and then afterwards they send for a local pastor to come. He establishes a church there, and to this day, it is still one of the primary sending places into villages to preach the gospel. <laughs> I, don't, I don't say that I, just, I feel those are invitations from God. Those are invitations from God. And, um, and so as we go, we hold these things before us to know what this could look like um, for God's kingdom to come and, and the hardest of hearts to be changed when his kingdom is really put on display. Amen? All right, come with me to Matthew 12. I want to give you a third sign of God's kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, just turn to Matthew 12. I just feel it. Thank you, Lord. I just thank you, Lord. I thank you for your presence that is here right now. I just feel an increase of the Lord. It's confirming what he's saying. Lord, we thank you that you're putting your amen to this, Lord. Lord, I pray for anyone that may just feel discouraged by stepping out in the past. Lord, I pray that, God, I pray that defeatism would not allow them to, to take away what's in your word, but Lord, that they would let the word bring their experience up, Lord. In Jesus' name. Uh, Matthew 12, verse 28. I wanna, I'm going to read. Now, here's a third sign of God's kingdom coming right now. Salvation, forgiveness, healing, Here's the other one. We're going to see the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. He's going to deliver people, deliver people literally from demonic things. This is the large part of Jesus' ministry was healing and deliverance. Uh, that's, that's really big. In the West, I don't have time to get in how we have so made it like it's, it's, uh, it's, um, it's not real. It's not real. No, it's real. Uh, this is what we see in the scripture. It, it is. And we've been given a commission to set people free. Um, and I want you to know that, that we're not going out wondering if God has victory or not. We go out in confidence. And one of the ways I want you to see this that's so powerful before I read this text is in Mark 1, 
when Jesus comes out of the uh, wilderness, empowered by the Spirit, and proclaims God's reign is here, only a few verses later, he goes right into the synagogue to show what it looks like that God's reign is here. And when he goes into the synagogue, it says there's a man who's demonically possessed. And the man actually manifests in the gathering. Now, Jesus didn't have to do anything. His holy presence begins to rattle everything that is not of him. And so as he steps in, this man actually manifests and speaks. The demonic spirit speaks to Jesus and says, what have you come to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Now listen carefully what it says. It then says, have you come to destroy us? Why would it say that? Because it knows its eternal destiny. And it wasn't sure, is this the time when it's, everything's being eradicated right away? Revelation 12 says that Satan was cast down out of the heavens and he knows his time is short. They don't know exactly God's plan, but they know where it's all going. They won't want us to know that we have power and victory, but they know. And he says, Are you, have you come to destroy us right now? And Satan tells him to be quiet and cast him out. But I want you to know that we go with that ultimate victory in our minds. And so let's, let's look at Matthew 12. This is where Jesus, uh, he ministers to a demonized man who's blind and mute. Again, interesting. There's a connection there of his brokenness in his body with something demonic. Jesus heals this man. And sure enough, who's there to, uh, to question it? The religious leaders. And they basically say, oh, I know how he did this. He did this by a demonic spirit. He drove out a demonic spirit by a demonic spirit. And Jesus flips the whole thing on his head and says, listen, a divided kingdom cannot stand. How foolish is that? They called him actually Beelzebul, the prince of demons. The prince of peace was called the prince of demons. So if they said that to him, what will they say to someone else who contends for these things? What will they say? They will say the same things. I tell you this, anywhere you see the power of God move, I'm not writing off on every single person. I don't know their lies, but I'll tell you this, more times than not, wherever God's power is moving, there are so many claims being made like this. The prince of demons, this is demonic. I told you before, there's more faith in the demonic than in God to do these things. That's a scary place. So let's read what Jesus says, verse 28. He says, it's not by demonic spirit, but look at verse 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God, meaning it is by the Spirit of God, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then look what it says, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Another sign. How do we know God's kingdom has come upon us? Salvation, healing, deliverance. They're all actual tangible signs of the realm of Satan being broken. He actually says that it has come upon you, meaning it's, it's when it says come upon you, meaning it's arrived. It's not impending. It's not possible. Or even worse, it's not strictly something just for a future phenomenon. He's saying if someone gets delivered like this, here's what you know. God's kingdom has forcefully come upon you. It's here right now. Amen. Last one. Then we'll pray. Romans 14, 17. We could speak about power over death. There's a lot of things we can get into. They're all signs, but I want to read one other one. Romans 14. Another sign of God's kingdom here and now is the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to grant us innumerable spiritual blessings, which include righteousness, peace, and joy. So this is really awesome. Look what it says, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So what that means 
is anytime you see righteousness, peace, and joy, guess what, guys? The kingdom of God is there. For these things are the bedrock of the kingdom of God. Peace and joy. Listen, you know, these things, I feel like that there's an emphasis in these on the inner life of a man or woman, inner life, which means the kingdom wants to drive out anger, lust, worry, fear. And whenever you experience something around the things of God and you say, wow, I just feel the joy of the Lord. I feel the peace of God. You know what that means? God's rule and reign is touching your life. The righteousness of God, whenever you see righteousness, you're seeing God's kingdom. For the Bible says we were slaves to sin. So whenever someone is now a slave to righteousness, it's a sign that they've come under the rule of God. The righteousness here is, I, I don't think it's just the imputed righteousness, meaning we are in right standing with God because of Jesus and that's it. But I think this is also talking about the daily experience of righteousness by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to bring our lives into alignment with, with the God who's revealed in Scripture. No man can do that by themselves. But anytime you see someone love this God, love this Jesus, and then live it out, the Bible says this is a sign that God's kingdom has come here. Oh, that's good news. <laughs> when you find yourselves delighting in the commandments of Scripture and growing in conformity to Jesus, you can truly say, there is the kingdom of God. <laughs> so we will see salvation and forgiveness. We will see people being healed. We will see people being delivered. We will see people loving righteousness, people experiencing joy. That's important. Sometimes we pray, you don't see a, an outer breakthrough, but someone says, man, I just sense the joy of the Lord, the peace of God. God's rule is touching their life. Amen? Let's stand.